You are listening to the Post-Atomic Horror Podcast with Ron Algar-Watt and Matt Robotham. Episode 34, covering the Empath and Elon of Troyes. Hey Matt, I, uh, I didn't even bring the bucket in the room this time. Yeah, I know, it's surprising, right? That is, that is the best thing I can say. Uh, what we have to talk about this week. Yeah, it's it's nice. I'm going bucketless because uh, <laughs> I, I was really worried. I was really worried this is it. We, were, we have crossed the line. We've officially gone into, uh, you know, Bat Country Season 3 insanity, but... Uh, Here there be stupid fucking episodes. Yeah, but, but uh, no, no, we ran into two that we have quite a bit of good to say about. Yeah. So let's... Uh, yours was first. Take it away with The Empath. The Enterprise is enterprising about on Minera, a planet whose sun is about to go nova. They're planning to evacuate a research, sta- research station, only to find that, once again, nobody is fucking home. Kirk, Bones, and Spock all beam down to poke around and find footage of some jumpsuited workers, who then vanish. Seeing this, the landing party themselves vanish. They reappear deep below the surface in a magical realm where darkness stretches into infinity. It's uh, sort of like that town from Spectre of the Gun, except that it's less obviously stupid and cheap. Lounging on an expensive-looking platform, they find a reasonably hot 60s-looking girl who gets more close-ups and sad music than any other woman in Star Trek ever, which is kind of saying something. They discover that she is mute, from a species of mutes, who don't, which doesn't make a whole lot of sense, but fine, whatever. Bones names her Gem, seeing within her the potential for true outrageousness. It is then that they are approached by two Telosian-resembling aliens who call themselves Violins. Kirk attempts to introduce himself, but the Violins have no interest in this so-called Earth Kirk and beat him silly. Uh, they shove the crew into a magical rainbow force field and then bugger off. Now free, Jem examines a place where Kirk wanged his head during the savage beatdown. Some, plow- some flowery music plays, and now the wound is on Jem's head, and then it disappears. Bones reasons that Jem is a truly, truly outrageous empath, a fact that he'll restate about a billion times in this episode. There's some further exploration, and the crew finds, bu- uh, and the, crew finds the disappeared scientists dead in carefully labeled giant test tubes, complete with oversized novelty corks. Uh, They also find test tubes reserved for themselves. A violin appears, but Spock nerve pinches him. They steal his gun and run away. Reaching the surface rather easily, the crew finds Scotty in a shuttle waving to them in the distance. Uh, This turns out to be an illusion, Michael, and the violins are just testing them. They take Kirk, de-shirt him, of course, (laughs) chain him to the ceiling, and then torture him for no very good reason. They return Kirk to the rest of the crew. Jem heals him again, taking on the role of the party's cleric. Then the violins return again, because that's what they do, wandering off only to return to be dicks again. They tell Kirk he must decide who is to be tortured next, Bones or Spock, and then they fuck off again, presumably to watch from behind a wall and giggle. Kirk, still still sick from overexposure to torture, allows Bones to knock him out with a hypospray, and Spock declares that now that he's in charge, it will be be up to him to make the decision of who goes with the violins. Uh, It'll be him. Bones agrees that this is a fair point, and then knocks Spock out. Uh, The violins torture Bones for a while, shirt more or less intact this time. Meanwhile, Kirk and Spock regain consciousness and fiddle around with a violin gun that Kirk, bleh, that Spock swiped. He figures out that it's more of a control vo- device and less of a gun, and he can use it to return to the ship. Uh, they decide instead to go look for Bones and find him dying of all this torture that's been happening. Kirk reasons that Jem can save him, but Bones refuses, uh, citing his Hippocratic Oath and proving that the true, that truly true outrageous comes from within. The violins show up again, shoving Spock and Kirk into another fucking force field and making Jem choose whether to save or not. Violins take this moment, this moment when they have everyone's attention, to explain that they had the that they have the ability to save a civilization about to be destroyed by the Nova, 
but the civilization has to prove that it is not just outrageous, not truly outrageous, but truly, truly, truly outrageous. Jem does this by curing, by curing <clears throat> bones. The violins say this is not enough. True outrageousness means that she must sacrifice her own life. But Kirk accuses the violins of forgetting the true nature of outrageousness, guilting them into saving bones as well as this, as well as Jem's species. So, you know, good for them. You know, when you break it down into the plot points, when you when you talk about everything that happens, and, mm. and that seems to be more your style of recap, whereas I just kind of, you know, do the crazy freeform jazz approach, you actually try to tell the people what happened, and I appreciate that. <laughs> it really doesn't sound like a very good episode. No. But it really was. Yeah, it was a, It was really, really good. Yeah, it looked incredible. The, the production values, like, you could tell they still didn't have much money for sets, like you said in... Uh, Spectre of the Gun, mm-hmm. but instead they did this sort of um, very uh, stark, almost abstract uh, stage play type thing, yeah, it where, lo- where it was mostly dark with a few pieces of furniture here and there. <laughs> it actually looked a lot like my, like my drama class in high school. Oh, of, it looked like everybody's drama class in high school. A lot of black spaces with big white squares to sit on. Yeah, but, you know, the, the, the white squares were futuristic looking. There were mm-hmm. computers here and there. I mean, you, you knew you were in some kind of a sci-fi thing. Yep. And uh, just the way it was... The way that was done, the way the lighting was done, the way the um, the directing was, like, there were a lot of directing choices, like cool uh, shots and cool transitions and yep. just really interesting things. And this is how you do a low-budget sci-fi show. Like, yep. if you if you don't have the means to build big, great stuff, then you, you pull it off with camera tricks and lighting. And, mm-hmm. and usually they failed, but here it was really good. You know, there's a part of the beginning when, uh, when they first arrive below the surface of the planet, and the camera's kind of pulled back a bit and it's just the three of them walking through darkness and it, you get a real right. sense of just the vastness of where they are it's really yeah cool. like they're in a huge cavern yeah. instead of just like a, a tiny set or yeah. something which is great there's, there's a lot of and I, I wish you know I knew more of the film school lingo and I don't mm-hmm. but there's a lot of um, one guy's in the foreground one guy's in the background and there's there's uh, the, the way the shots compose stuff's going on on multiple layers, yep. and I'm, I'm always a sucker for that, I, especially when you do, like, the rack focus where you focus on the guy behind and then you change and you focus on the guy in the front. Just a lot of, lot of really cool things yeah. like that. No, I, I don't normally notice the directing in uh, in Star Trek, but it really no, stood out on this one. it's adequate. Was just, it was really cool. Yeah, and then the, the aliens, as you point out, look a bit like the Telosians from the cage. Uh, they, they aren't um, little people, though. They're, they're full-sized. Mm-hmm. But this, apart from the cage, this is the only time I can think of where they did sort of next-gen-type aliens with actual latex and actual, yep. you know, like they, they designed an alien. I mean, it wasn't an original design, but at least they looked like aliens. They weren't just, you know, Irish people. Yep. <laughs> that was nice. I, um, I like it. After Spock steals one of their guns... Uh, mm-hmm. They spend the rest of the episode, the two of them, one has a gun, the other one points in the direction that he wants the gun fired. <laughs> and that just keeps happening. Yeah, and, and as you pointed out in your recap, there is there is a lot of them showing up, doing nothing, leaving, mm-hmm. showing up, doing nothing, leaving. And, yep. and it does get a little tiresome. That's the thing, is yes, the production value was great, the script was not. There was, no. there was a lot of nonsense happening, but it was really because the, the visuals were so overwhelmingly above average... Mm-hmm. For this show, it really made it okay. Like it made it. I, for, for one thing, I'm just happy we got something good to say. Yeah, we're really scrounging. <laughs> but no, seriously, it was it was remarkable for this show. I mean, yeah. I wouldn't say it was it was super artsy, you know, uh, you know, above Star Trek. But it's it's probably the best Star Trek direction I've ever seen. Absolutely. Um, I liked the chick Gem. Like, yeah, I liked. Uh, she she had this sort of exotic quality about her. I like when they cast alien. 
Like, when it's going to be a human. Mm-hmm. I like when they at least try to cast someone who has a bit of an exotic look yeah. about them. I always thought Marina Sirtis had that look where she's obviously, you know, she's obviously not an alien. I mean, I'm, I might be I might be shattering some illusions. What? Right she's, she's not an alien, Pat. Believe it or not. But um, but there's a look about her. There's a, And the way she carried herself and, like, yep. the dark eyes and the, you know. And, and Jem was the same way. Like, mm-hmm. she had kind of a strange bone structure. She was attractive. Yes. But she's sort of weirdly exotic, mm-hmm. too, which is which was nice. And dressed in a vaguely see-through tarp. Well, you do enjoy that. <laughs> Apparently, I do. Learning a lot about myself uh, since we started the show. Well, see, that's, that is Gene's visionary vision of a vision. He wants you to learn about yourself while you learn about humanity. Oh, good. Also notable, uh, yes, you, you mentioned that Shatner was shirtless. Shocking. Well, you didn't mention the way it was shot. You either saw him from the back mm-hmm. or you saw him from the nipples up. <laughs> Conveniently, when he was shirtless, you never saw the mid-region. Nope. Can't imagine why that would be. I mean, we all we all know Shatner let himself go, and we've pointed out that it's, it seemed to happen right between seasons two and three. Something on his summer vacation, he just went on a binge eat or something. I don't know what happened, but he aged like ten years and gained fifty pounds <laughs> in the summer of nineteen sixty-eight. I don't know what happened, but uh, when he came back for season three, no more showing his abs ever. <laughs> Jesus Christ, Bill, what happened to you? <laughs> <laughs> like they got him down to the treadmill and they got him back in the yellow shirt, but uh, I think that's why the green shirt's no longer around. Yeah. Look, that thing's split. If you try to put that on, it's just going to completely split. But he still demanded that he be sh- that he get his- get to take his shirt off at least a couple of times an episode. Yeah, and I, I, you know, I don't know that specifically about this episode, but it would not surprise me at all to discover that he wanted like to be shirtless because, like you said, DeForest Kelly wasn't. No. And you know, good. Yeah, look, look, we love bones, but uh, there's no. nothing under there I need to see. And the thing is, you know, we 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 ogle the women. We're not we're not apologetic about that. But it's like, okay, if there's if there's hot '60s looking men, they're like, we know there's a fair segment of the female audience who would not mind seeing Leonard Nimoy without a shirt. That's yep. great. Yeah. But uh, I don't think anybody, even the people who are attracted to bones slash to Forrest Kelly. Really, necessarily. that What's going on with him is, is those eyes and that brain. Yeah, it's not, the, uh, the, the torso area is not really his best feature. Yeah, he's, he's, more, he's more a charmer than I, he I, is a, you know, I imagine it. I imagine it resembles a pile of belts. <laughs> Quite possibly. <laughs> uh, but, uh, you know, talking about um, Bones being tortured, I was actually bothered by that because we do like him so much and we've made such a point of saying mm-hmm. he's our favorite. Yep. I was disturbed. Like, don't hurt him. Mm-hmm. Get Kirk back up there. No, I, I, look, I've seen Kirk get tortured before. I don't care. No. He'll be and fine. That's his job. But Bones is awesome. And he's yeah, the doctor. He, yeah, and he was just trying to help the whole time. Whereas Kirk is usually an ass and he kind of has it coming. Yep. But uh, this time, you know, he's like, Bones, come on. And all, no, don't hurt him. And, and also the fact that the aliens are just all like, well, we don't really have a reason for torturing. Just like it, it's fun. Look, tor- look. We don't know what you get up to on your planet, but here, torturing is awesome. We do it all day long. I really, honestly, and we've—I think we've mentioned this before. When we watch these episodes together, we we do kind of focus more on making jokes mm-hmm. than we do on the plot. And sometimes we miss stuff. And sometimes, like this one, you said you had to go back and watch. Yeah, I, I watched it again this points. morning. I I did not, and so I honestly don't know what. Like, what was going on? Why all the torture? Why all the, like, what was the end result? What were they doing? Well, I mean, the, the idea was to, you know, prove that, like, 
gem was from a race of people who are caring and compassionate. But apparently the only way they can prove that is by dangling our favorite character by his wrist for a while. But I mean, what? so that was their end result. They yeah, the idea was to... that they wanted to torture him until he was almost dead and then watch her heal him back to life by, by sacrificing herself. It's not a great plan. No, and it's a fairly convoluted plan at that. Yeah. I'm not really sure what that accomplishes. Put a lot of thought into this when you guys ran off to go hide behind that wall over there. <clears throat> Plus, I don't think we've mentioned this yet. One of them looked a lot like the comedian Dave Thomas. Oh, God, he did, too. Holy shit. I mean, Dave Thomas, if he had a weird alien head. But yeah. Dave Thomas, nonetheless. Not the founder of Wendy's. The, no. Uh, one of the McKenzie brothers. <laughs> no, the founder of <laughs> Wendy's appeared in For the World is Hollow, and I have touched a... Tr- <laughs> I have touched a... Oh, and now uh, I can't no, think of a cheeseburger. It got away from you, didn't it? Yeah. <laughs> All right. I've touched a Frosty. Yes, that'll work nicely. Very well. Uh, so, uh, yeah, the, the script just didn't really make a lot of sense to me. Like, I really like the look of it, but I have no idea what was going on. And apparently you making your second pass didn't make a whole lot more sense out of it either. Not like, so much, I think no. I think you, you cracked the linear plot, but it still doesn't make much sense. No. Which is too bad, because like I said, that, that, that guy's directorial talents was kind of wasted on, uh, were kind of wasted on this uh, particular episode. Uh, I actually found out this is one of the episodes that was, like, submitted by a fan. Really? So it was like a spec script? Yeah, exactly. Nice. There were a couple of those, and I just think it's really cool, like, it's really cool that Star Trek should be all like, oh, you like the show? All right, well, send us a script. If it's good, we might make an episode about it. And see, that's, that's where it breaks down. Like, the idea of, of accepting... You know, open submissions is great, but I think they really needed a uh, someone in the in the office who was reading the scripts to see if they were any good. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, I, I get the feeling know. I get the feeling Shatner picked it up, counted Kirk's lines, said, "I get to be shirtless here. Take it." <laughs> that was the decision. Process. Shatner out. Yep. But no, it's it's definitely. I mean, it, it became more of a thing like into the eighties and the nineties. But I don't know if the shows did that a lot back then. No. I could be wrong. I don't I don't know the TV biz, but uh, you know. I know Star Trek has always had that open door policy. I remember, remember when you and I were reading those uh, just endless uh, transcripts of Ron Moore's uh, uh, chat room Q and A. Oh, that's right. That's how Ron Moore got into the uh, yeah got exactly into the industry. That's really cool. Yep, and uh, and and you know a fair amount of uh, next gen writers who then went on to DS Nine and and the rest. Yep, um, got their start from that. Some of them turned out to be Ron Moore. Others not so much. <laughs> It's a shame. That it's a shame we weren't doing this show back then. We could have got it in in and fixed Voyager right from the start. Oh man! <laughs> all right. First of all, pointing at Brandon Braga, he's got to go. <laughs> Actually, Michael you know what? A lot of people need to go. Yeah. <laughs> Don't not so fast, Kate Mulgrew. <laughs> well, at least I have a job. <laughs> oh, no, you don't. Yeah, about oh, that. Christ. Um. It, you you had also mentioned something about uh, this was banned for a while. What, yeah, what's... it was a like uh, this was this Miri whom gods destroy and the beloved Plato's stepchildren were all. Oh, don't make me get the bucket. Were all banned in the UK back in the nineties. Apparently, the content in them was a little too offensive. I remember reading about Plato's stepchildren actually when I when we finished the episode. I looked at um, uh, Memory Alpha. Yeah. And they were they were offended by something, and I think whom gods destroy was not cool because of the way they treated the mentally ill. Mm-hmm. We haven't gotten to that one yet, but I don't know. I don't really understand Miri, and I don't really understand this one. I think it might have just been like children are in danger. Maybe in this one. Oh, I guess in Miri. But what about this one? Uh, got me. It's not cool uh, to tor- It's not cool to torture people, and uh, people should probably be able to talk if they're going to be on TV. I guess. 
Yeah, I'm, I'm really hoping that, that uh, the vision of Gene that we've been hearing, that, uh, you know, trying to sell the IDIC medals and so forth, I really hope that he didn't hire this chick as a mute just to pay her as an extra and not even give her full scale. Cause that would be <laughs> but knowing what we know about Gene, it may be possible. That's probably almost exactly what happened. Yeah. Then so he could get her into a short skirt. God damn it, Roddenberry. <sighs> Anyway, any anything more about this one? Or uh, I believe that's it. We can head on to Elon of Troyes. All right. Uh, I gotta admit, when I when I heard the ancient Greek undertones in the episode title, I reached for the bucket. Thankfully, its buckety services were not required this week, as it was a surprisingly solid episode. This is one of those like Journey to Babel or six or seven hundred episodes of Next Gen, in which the Enterprise ferries important diplomats to some tense negotiation. In this case, the passengers are the worst Mork from Work cosplayers I've ever seen the titular Elon, and would appear to be a jaundiced Andorian with his antenna cut off. Okay, so he's a little green man, but that's not as much fun to say. Uh, Elon, the so-called Dolman of Elas, you're getting all this, right? As you may have guessed from the title, has to marry someone to prevent a war. Or, I don't know, maybe she has to divorce to start a war. Something along those lines. The point is, she's a crazy, uncivilized ingrate. She yells at people, she throws things, and she acts like it's no big deal when she stabs a guy for entering her quarters without permission. So essentially, she's my horrible wife. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen, you've been great. Really, though, she's a real bitch. Elon, not my wife. <laughs> Kirk tries to intervene and get her under control, but her magic tears actually bring Kirk under her control. No, seriously, this is a lot less stupid than it sounds. Then in a nice change of pace, Kirk gets seduced, and Elon nearly orders him to blow up the planet she's going to so that she doesn't have to get married. <laughs> this actually happens. <laughs> Fortunately, Kirk manages to shake off the effects of the magic tears in time, not through any chemical means, just because of the fact that, everyone say it with me, he loves, he loves his, his ship, ship like, a woman. like a woman. And good thing, too, because, oh yeah, I forgot to mention that a Klingon ship has been chasing this whole time, and the dilithium crystals are all messed up. It's not that the episode was poorly produced or even forgettable, it's just that I was distracted by Elon and her whole deal. Magic tears, I guess. <laughs> anyway, so it turns out that the candy necklace that her would-be suitor had been trying to give her this whole time is actually made of dilithium crystals which explains why the Klingons have had such an interest in this. Uh, Elon is apparently, lou or excuse me, Elos is apparently lousy with that lithium, and neatly saves the day at the last possible minute. Seriously, this is all a lot less stupid than it sounds honest. I, when we were going into this episode, I was dead certain that it was one I saw when I was a kid that I hated. Which uh, which was that? Do you remember any specific uh, No, I, well, I just remember watching this episode when I was a kid and finding it incredibly boring. Well, if you if you don't get the uh, you know, there's a lot of uh, undertones of sex mm -hmm. and and implied you know adult type stuff. And if you're a kid and you don't get all that stuff, yeah, this this would not be great. No, but it actually was there was, there was some good character stuff going yeah, there, on. Yeah, this was actually a really good episode. This is one of those. I mean, I won't hold it up as one of my all time favorites, but it is one of those bottle shows where there's a lot of character stuff going on and a, and a tense thing about to happen. Mm -hmm. And it, it actually wasn't bad at all. Um, the chick who played. Um, Elon was actually quite good, mm -hmm. very strong presence. You, you really believed that she was this sort of entitled princess who just wolfed her food down and threw things at people and demanded obedience. Stabbed just, whoever she felt like. Yeah. Just stab. Well, according to, um, according to our friend Jesse, mm -hmm. uh, she, <laughs> what is it? A lady, a lady shanks. She never stabbed. Is that right? <laughs> just, just so we get that clear. Um, She's, she's not really my type, like, as far as, you know, my, the typical ogling goes, but, man, she had a presence. Oh, yeah. 
Something about her was really sexy just because she was so strong. Although they were clearly playing that up because the first time we see her, the camera very slowly pans from her feet up. Yeah. Oh, we get the uh, traditional Star Trek wah, 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 wah. Well, we've come a little further than that. You don't get the stripper pole music like you got in um, Mud's Wind. Uh, yeah. So that's a little better. Mm-hmm. Uh, this, this one Baby was written steps. by... Yeah, I mean, a little bit at a time. <laughs> we still we still got to get over, you know, 20 years from now, we still got to get over Counselor Troy in, a, in like, a, a cheerleader outfit. Like, we still got yeah. ways to go. Uh, this ended up being, like, when the, when the credit first came up, and I, like I said, the title kind of put me off, I realized it was written by John Meredith Lucas, who also wrote uh, The Ultimate Computer and the Enterprise Incident. Yep. And you can see it. It was, it was the same kind of thing. It was the same kind of tense thing going on on the ship kind of thing. And uh, and it worked. I really enjoyed it. See, Ellen of Troyes just made me think it was another fucking Rome episode. Yeah, or, or Greek or whatever. Yeah. yeah. This was also, like, I always point out, you know, it's a cliche to point out that Shatner's a bad actor, but hey, we're reviewing Star Trek. We got to do it. Yeah. But I will also give credit where it's due. This is Shatner right in his comfort zone. Mm-hmm. He, he, when you let him be an arrogant prick, when you let Kirk be sort of an insufferable douche, yep. it works. And and Shatner plays it so well. And when he gets to be that sort of smirking, uh, I'm in control, just fuck off because I'm awesome. Like, he's really <laughs> great at that. Yep. He's, it's funny. It's legitimately funny. And not, we're not laughing at him. We're laughing with him. Mm-hmm. I mean, we said before, Kurt, or, uh, Shatner can do humor. He can't. Well, certain kinds of humor. Certain kinds of humor. This kind of humor is, is yes. well within his sports reference. It's 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 really when um it's really the the kind of thing that the uh, the the 2009 movie embraced, which mm-hmm. is Kirk is a douchebag. Yes, he is a douchebag. <laughs> oh my! Now this was the exact opposite of of your episode, yeah, uh, the empath, because this was not directed very well. The costuming was fucking ridiculous. Oh my god, those fuck! Hang on, hang on, we'll get we'll okay, get to that. Okay. <laughs> But the script was really solid. Yeah. And I wish they'd given this script to the other guy. Mm-hmm. And just put all the crap in the empath. <laughs> but yeah, the the the, uh, the alien the entourage, oh. They they really looked kind of like the Mork from Mork costume. Mm-hmm. And the one main dude looked like Jermaine from Flight of the Concords. <laughs> but then there's the green guy. This is... This oh is my the- god, this fucking guy. <laughs> He, we like to we like to imagine voices for characters before they open their mouths. <laughs> and this guy, <laughs> I tell ju- him that this one came from this. This is the uh, I stole this from um, from uh, Hollywood Babylon, which is another podcast I listened to. It's a terrible Ed Wynn voice, and it, the second I saw him, I'm like, oh my goodness, this which, guy. Which one is Ed Wynn? I don't Ed Wynn was the, the oh way. god, what, he was the Mad Hatter in Alice in Wonderland, and ah, he was okay. the dude on the ceiling in uh, Mary Poppins. Ah, very well. I, so you said Ed Wynn, and I immediately thought Fred Gwynn, who played uh, Herman Munster, and that's not right at all. <laughs> darn, 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 darn. Yeah. No, no, this guy definitely. As soon as this dude... Hello, was, Captain Kirk. Oh, it's such a pleasure to meet you. Oh, my goodness. And he didn't sound like that, but he looked like he sure as No, he should've. sounded like a normal dude, but he looked mm. like... If you could he picture, looked a bit like Lorne from Angel, you pointed out. And yeah, not, he looked... A, he reminded me a lot of Lorne from Angel. Yeah. Without the fabulousness. <laughs> well, maybe maybe sort of a late 60s fabulousness, which is a different kind of fabulousness. Like a secret fabulousness. Yeah. Like, uh, hide your green bushel under it. No, I've lost it. Oh, <laughs> it doesn't matter. I read a criticism, actually, on, on Memory Alpha, um, that this was a terrible episode in terms of treatment of women. Like, like really super hardcore 
misogynist, uh-huh. and I just, I don't get it. Because um, Elon takes control of Kirk with yep. her, yeah, it was magic tears, which is stupid, but let, let's go, let's go sci-fi nerd, let's, let's, let's polish it up a little and say it was pheromones. Mm-hmm. Because I can buy that. Um, she used her, her, you know, her pheromones to, to, uh, to get Kirk to basically do her bidding. Yep. And, and she seduced Kirk, she flat out, she, she initiated. Yep. And to get what she wanted. Almost so I mean. him into blowing up a planet. Yeah. And prior to that, she she did whatever she wanted mm-hmm. with impunity. She stabbed people. She she yelled. She threw things. She, you know, like uh, this. There were some points where she was submissive, and he threatened to spank her at one point. There was, <laughs> I forgot there was, about that. <laughs> yeah, there was there was a Papa spank moment, but I mean, there was some back and forth. But overall, she was fairly empowered, mm-hmm. and she was fairly in control for most of the episode. Yep. And she didn't like being in this position where she had to, you know end this war, or whatever the fuck she was supposed to be doing. And she was trying to get out of it using her wiles, and I, I don't find that, you know... I mean, granted, we're two dudes trying to speak from the feminist viewpoint, and we might not be exactly on course here. Right. Maybe I'm missing something, but I, I think, you know, I think of the women we've seen, she's one of the more, you know, empowered. Definitely, yeah. And, uh, and I, I think that criticism was a bit off-base. Maybe, uh, tre- maybe they were referring to the treatment of Uhura in this episode. <laughs> well... Unfortunately, well, I mean, Uhura was relegated to what she always is, which is yep. just answering calls. But, uh, yeah, they, they said they gave uh, Elon the, the best uh, quarters on the ship. And uh, at one point, the camera pans by, and you see the nameplate, and it says Lieutenant Uhura. I just picture her sleeping on Chapel's couch. Yeah. Goddamn Captain Kirk kicking me out of Christine, my own. Christine, I'm really sorry about this. Thank you. You're so nice. Motherfucker. <laughs> that son of a bitch. See if I answer his calls. Oops, I hung up. <laughs> we seem to have lost them, Captain. <laughs> well, what a shame. Yeah. But yeah, overall, I really enjoyed, like, character-wise. Like, I really enjoyed it. There was mm-hmm. there was some goofiness with the, with the aliens, but overall, I quite enjoyed it. it was, yeah, it was, absolutely. You know, this was a standard, like, average episode of Star Trek. There was a lot of good stuff in there. Mm-hmm. And again, this is what I hoped for for Season 3, like, both of these episodes, where... There's a, there's some crap and there's some there's some problems, but there's some good. Yeah. Like both of these episodes, we could find good things to say about, and I, I was hoping that would be the case. It's not just uh, a crap shower. It's it's not just that that episode, which shall not be named. It's not just it's not just bucket episode. Oh god! Please, I don't make me get the bucket again. <laughs> I've got it ready. Right. Don't so think ready to, I don't. You ready to talk about the future, Matt? Yes. All right. In the, future, in, the future, in the future, advanced aliens will amuse themselves watching lesser beings be tortured. Uh, this has already begun happening, actually, thanks to the onset of reality TV. Uh, incidentally, that's what's called biting satire. Thank you, folks, and good night. Uh, between my uh, horrible wife jokes and that, we, we pretty much got it covered this week. Yeah, we're on the cusp of the uh, of the of the humor well, industry and, this week. And I keep, I keep calling back to the bucket, which was prop comedy. So we're you yep. know we're really covering all the hack bases here. <laughs> Uh, for mine, for Elon of Troyes. In the future, in the future in medical future. science will develop a cure for powerful alien pheromones. But this will be unnecessary for the love that dare not speak its name. Guys who lust after giant space boats. 
Oh, you got a you got a quote. I know you said you were having some trouble finding, finding a quote for this episode was really not easy. I mean, it's, well, not it's a... just like you described them running back and forth in the darkness. Not a lot of not yeah. a lot of uh, pithy quotes being exchanged. I, and I briefly considered do, just playing nothing and attributing a quote to uh, to a gem. <laughs> gem. But uh, I went with uh, Kirk whining. What happened to my man? They are safe. One specimen. You said one specimen. What happened to my man? Indeed, prime ingredient. Where are they? Tell me! You said you'd let them go! Well, that's, that's kind of rare, actually. Yeah. And usually he's, he gives the speech about 435 blah, blah, blah. Uh, it, it, it's not usually you hear Kirk going like, What about my men? I don't want to be a pirate. I don't want to be... Mine is um, the moment I described where someone comes in her quarters without permission and... Uh, she runs him through with a knife, and when asked, why did you do that, she answers with the following. Your Trojan pig was here in my quarters without any permission, so I stabbed him. Just to be Trojan is enough. <laughs> so yes, I mean, you know, horrible wife jokes aside and so forth. Oh my that goodness. Did remind me, that did remind me quite a bit of my own child bride. <laughs> well, obviously I stabbed him, duh. Why wouldn't, look... He needed stabbing, and I had a knife. What would you yeah. have done? What is the, I don't. I fail to see the problem here. <laughs> well, I would not have stabbed him. You're saying words, but I don't understand what you mean. <laughs> all right. So that is all for this week. Uh, next week we have we have some ridiculousness. Next week, I know. <laughs> I usually don't like to tease which episodes we're doing, but uh, you've been looking forward to yours. Next week, man, you got oh, yeah. you got some uh, you got some Riddler action happening. Oh yes! So look forward to Frank Gorshin <laughs> and a Green Orion Slave Girl. Ooh. So we will be back next week. Say it! You, I can't end the show till you say it, Matt. Say your catchphrase. God damn it! See you, folks. The Post-Atomic Horror Podcast is a co-production of Ron Algar Watt and Matt Robotham, copyright 2011. Please don't sue us, we're just doing this for fun.